Hello, welcome back. We are on chapter um, 10 for diversity and equity in a search for common ground. Chapter 10 is about diversity and equity. And it starts off with Pedro basically saying like, hey, we can't beat around the bush anymore. We need to discuss diversity in education. And he basically says, since Brown versus Board of Education decision, many kids in America are still attending schools that are segregated. And that is the first line within this chapter. So you know that they're about to delve into the topic. And you can tell it's a hot topic, even hotter than the civics and education one, which I think it bounces off of that a little bit um, into the issues that we're having. I think that common themes that I'm catching is the achievement gap, the civics and education, and diversity and equity. They all kind of go hand in hand with one another, um, and they influence each other. So as I was going through here, I kind of like the pitter-patter or the debate between both of them, how they like would flip-flop. And I feel as if Pedro is really trying to drive his point home with Rick and Rick is just completely like, okay, I see your point ish and goes off onto a whole nother tangent. Um, and so throughout like the, the first half and Rick's or Pedro's first letter to Rick, he's basically stating schools are still segregated. Um, about one in five white students attend schools with 10% or fewer children of color and that mostly black and Latino students have their own schools. So we are still have some form of segregation, even though we don't call it segregation. We call it, oh, they're not in our correct school zone or they are in a different zone than the other kids. Uh, which creates again, that divide and that division. It then picks up and he's still going on and he's saying that several studies, uh, this is Pedro, several studies have shown that kids who are born poor end up poor as adults. The American dream is in serious trouble. So the American dream is content. I like how Pedro brings in the American dream. This is an idea of quality that I actually talk about within my class, my classroom about what do you envision the American dream is? Um, we go over the Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech. And I think it pairs well to get to what the students find now. What is the American dream? And the American dream is something completely separate from when I was a kid. And now the students are thinking, I'm going to have a super nice car. I'm going to, their, their new thing is driving a Hellcat. It's having a nice big house, which I think has always been the thing. But doing that while also making money by not working a serious job, like doing YouTube or play, playing videos on Twitch. That's their new thing that they swear up and down that they're going to do. And that is how they're going to live their life. And that comes to mind and when they see other people doing that, they vision themselves doing it as well, especially with the time of social media. Um, they, that's their American dream. So I find it funny that he says the American dream is in serious trouble because I do think that social media has impacted that American dream where it's making things that looks like it can happen and they can attain it. 
they don't show all the hidden pieces of the work that goes behind it. So after Pedro explains about the American dream, he asks Rick, is our future in jeopardy? And this is where Rick's letters picks up. And Rick basically says, well, I think this is completely misguided and White's not supporting um, the cultural, I guess, diversity and equity. It's just unsupported by the evidence, so-called Rick says. And he doesn't pull in any evidence, but he says it's unsupported by evidence. And he then goes on, he goes, I read your letter thoughtfully, but he says, given the seriousness of the practical challenges you sketch, why has so much of the ensuing discussions been dominated by those whose real passion seems to be polarizing cultural agendas? And right here, this is where I don't technically agree with what Rick is saying. I think Rick is trying to draw a line and say, like, people are trying to polarize and and make a bigger issue of what it really is and not really going after the main point. And I think that he's kind of, he missed the mark on this. And I don't think people are trying to polarize or, or divide out. I think they're trying to say like, hey, this is an issue. We need to fix it. And he's just marking it up as somebody who's trying to push along the, the, the se segregation and separation. He then goes on and he's saying that you have to be hard work and polite and being hard work and polite is the same as in Singapore and it doesn't need to be white. And I, and I guess he's saying that in America, that is what white people are deemed hardworking and polite. But Singapore, they have the same worldview or traits and they don't have it as being white, which I think, I don't know why he pulls this up. And I, I get the point he's trying to make, but I don't think it's making the point he is thinking it is making. I think he's trying to make more of a connection of, we all have these traits that we can all possess and we're all one and that's diversity. And yes, that that's great, but he's, he's over looking he's glossing over the issue at hand and it's those who are being disadvantaged for being a certain skin color and I think he kind of ends the the letter a little bit short and this is where Pedro comes in and Pedro comes in with all the facts and all the evidence and Pedro like basically starts off in his first paragraph he goes Overwhelm overwhelmingly majority of our teachers are white almost 80 percent Today, over 50% of the public school population is composed of children who are not defined as white. And this is the piece that I highlighted. And I think that this is important to me because I think my school highly reflects this quote um, where it says that most of, our, most of our student body is definitely over 70% black, if not more. I would even say 80 um, and then almost half of our faculty are white. And there are not a lot of people of color. I did have someone mention that to me when I first started at the school. There, someone, a teacher did come up and was like, well, I'm glad that they're getting more diverse within the school and that they're hiring more teachers of color. She goes, because as you see here, she goes, a lot of the teachers are white, which in high school, 
I will be honest, I never thought about that because I, I actually work at the high school I went to. And so when someone brought it up to me, I'm thinking that was never really an issue for me in high school. Like I loved all of my teachers. I never found an issue with it. So for them to say that this is a main cause of diversity issues, I, in my head, I, it never clicked to me as a student. So as a student, so for Rick to say that, and then for me to have a, another teacher bring this up, I felt like maybe there's something that I'm not seeing, or maybe it's in a different school, or maybe the school system has changed or of some sort. And with him saying about how most of the teachers are white, and it's basically kind of stating that maybe you won't learn as much, or he's saying that children learn in school um, reflects the history and culture of the shrinking white majority. But I think that we are, I think he makes a good point where he says that we don't really learn about anything other than what is taught either about the little bit that we know about Native Americans and Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman and Pocahontas. Those are the only real things that I can think about and that I can remember learning in school. And so I think he's saying like, we need to make a more of a focus. And I think that it's a teacher decision, but also a standards driven decision because a lot of their lectures come from the standards that they have to teach. And I think that if we allow for um, our, even our social study standards to, to change and adapt and we can have those um, options where we can go a little bit outside of our normal realm of the white history, and as I'm using quotation marks, that I'm noticing I do a lot when I do these podcasts, and then I realize you can't see it. Um, <laughs> but so he talks about how come we don't learn who all who's helped shape American history. And I remember thinking of this when I took a American Revolution class, um, or the I took a revolutionary class from one of my history degrees. It was, one, it was a like a 4,000 level. It was one of the last things I did before I graduated college. And I had to look at the, Amer I had to choose a revolution. I chose the American Revolution. And I had to look at it from a different lens and do research on it. And I actually used the lens of Native Americans, which I had no idea whatsoever that Native Americans had a huge influence on the North winning the, or I'm sorry, winning the revolution um, against Britain. And then they also, because then I went into this whole rabbit hole spiral of researching some more, and that they also helped with um, the North winning within the Civil War. And I did, I was like, how come I went all of these years not knowing that the out, that, um, the American troops needed help from the Native Americans and vice versa, that the, that the people who were in the North needed help um, when they were fighting against the Confederate. And these are, these are things that were not taught to us. These are things that I had to go out, I had to search, I had to find primary documents, I had to go out and learn this stuff on my own. No one taught it for me. And I think if I asked a kids right now, if I had a do now up on the board and I was like, true or false, the Native Americans helped uh, 
the U.S. win the American Revolution? I'm pretty sure all of them would say false. They would have no idea. And I think this is what Rick is hinting at, because if you don't go out and do that learning, you'll never, ever know. And I think right now where he gets into, um, he moves on later on, and he explains that in order for us to kind of fix these things, he's not saying that we need to, like, make sure we have more black educators or more people who are who are diverse teaching but he's saying like we need to kind of you know let people know like hey tell teachers like hey you don't have to really change the way you teach but you need to be aware of the the student body you're teaching to and i honestly i don't think teachers are dumb i think teachers see it i think teachers know that hey if i have majority black students you're catering to a group of a certain, maybe they have different lifestyles or different home lives than you may have grown up with. But that's with anybody. It doesn't have to be someone who's black or Hispanic or Asian. That's just general. Like every person's different depending on their families. And I think that is what Pedro is getting to, and which is why he says this is why we need mentorship and support and encouragement. For those who are underrepresented, so they know that they are, they feel seen, heard, and supported. So Rick goes and he kind of responds and he's like, yeah, schools do need to change. Like America is changing and schools have an obligation to educate, respect, and connect with the students in the classroom. And then he goes in and he says, like, I just have one big but. And he says, it strikes me that there are really two competing definitions of diversity and equity and inclusion. The first, which infuses your take, involves seeking ways to serve a more racially diverse student population. I find that approach compelling. So he agrees that we do need to focus on connecting to our diverse student population. But then he goes, as he suggested in his last letter, it seems that this term is frequently used as a shorthand for troubling version of anti-racist education. And this is where he brings in D'Angelo and Kennedy and like how to be an anti-racist and saying just the term achievement gap in itself is racist and that he goes on and he just does not like D'Angelo and Kennedy and doesn't like their message and doesn't like how they're going about it and doesn't like how they're speaking with educators. And basically... When Pedro comes back in, Pedro is saying, okay, I see the points you made. He kind of pulls a Rick on Rick and he goes, I see the point you made, but I'm going to get back on track and I'm going to talk about what can we do to fix the diversity and, diversity and equity in education right now? Because talking about these people is not going to fix the issue at hand. And he goes in and he starts saying that too often we generate to name calling as he's pointed out and he points out that Rick does make a point that we do generate to name calling and and calling people who support standardized testing racist which I think he's like okay I see your point but we need to get back on track with how can we make a difference like how can we solve this problem we spend the energy, he goes, I know that we spend energy fighting. We have less energy for solving problems and taking action that can make a difference. And that's where I'm going to kind of end this is because I think th this sums up what 
the main goal is it's like we're spending all of this energy fighting the diversity and is it is it what needs to change and what's happening and we're fighting the fact but we clearly are stating that hey this is an issue let's come up with the solution stop fighting on the the the, the minutes of it and let's start trying to piece together okay what works what can work and what can we do to help fix and 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 more align and complete our diverse schools and ensure that everyone is getting a diverse and equal education. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. <laughs>